Hello and welcome to Culture Bucket. It is episode 12. You right, can't Alex? keep doing that. <laughs> yep, episode 12. Start again. No, episode 12. Episode 12. I yeah, was not ready. 12. You keep uh, doing that. I'm... I was singing a song to pick up my voice and then you go, hello. Oh, welcome back. Episode yep, 12. That's, that's what we do. Uh... I'm George. My co-host is Alex. You've heard from her already. How are you, Alex? I'm very good. Thank you very much. How are you, George? I'm not too bad. Thank you, Alex. I can't complain. Fantastic. Winter is coming. Colds are arriving. Covid is still here. Exciting Yeah. Time. Yeah. It's not going away. Let's not get bogged down by a <laughs> nest of Covid snakes. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. uh, today... Pretty excited. I think we've got a good episode coming up. We're going to talk about film scores and film music. Uh, I think it's a pretty excellent topic. I've got some movies I'm really excited to talk about. So, yeah, thank yeah. you for joining us. It was much harder than I thought. I was like, I've oh. got this nailed like weeks ago. I know my films. And then making the list this week, I was just very, oh, no. Maybe not. I don't know. And then I started listening to loads of movie soundtracks. I was like, this idea was Alex's top five idea, and I think it's not a very good idea, and I'm not excited to make this list. And then I started <laughs> thinking about it and making the list, and I realized it's actually an excellent idea, and I'm See, very excited about it. I'm not. <laughs> Amazing. I was like, why are we talking about film music? This is silly. Because and then it's I remembered the that best I love film topic. Music. <laughs> Like a film with a good, you can have a really rubbish film and an incredible soundtrack and that will stay with you. Yes. As part of the thing I did earlier in lockdown, I did a sort of taskmaster thing and part of it involved asking my friends what their favorite film was and why. And every single person, they all chose totally different films, but they all, the thing that they all said they liked about the film they chose was the soundtrack. Yeah. So it clearly is a big deal. Um, but we've got a few things to get through before we get to that, of starting course. with Culture Catch-Up time, which is now. This is Culture Catch-Up time. This is where we talk about what we've watched, what we've read, what we've listened to, and probably some other stuff. Awesome. All right. I, I've got uh, some music to talk about this week. I've got a video game to discuss, and I've got some films to talk about as well. How exciting. Very exciting. Starting with some music, I uh, discovered two new artists this week that I've been really enjoying. One of them I highlighted on our Instagram page this week. Uh, so that's this is a good opportunity to say, follow us on Instagram. It's a cool page. Yeah. We've got lots of updates on there, pointing out things we enjoy in popular culture, such as albums and different film quotes and stuff like that. So, uh all the links for our social medias are in the show notes, as always, and go there and have a look. And also in the show notes, if you don't check them, is uh, 
a list of everything we discuss in Culture Catch-Up with links to their Wikipedia pages. So if you are interested in finding out more about anything we talk about, please do look there. And yeah, so the artist I put on our Instagram this week was Barty's Strange. Mm. Do you know Barty's Strange, Alex? I do not. No, I didn't. Not before you put it on there. Yeah. (laughs) I was very confused. (laughs) Who's this guy? (laughs) Well, he... He's... Debut album just came out. It's called Live Forever, and I saw it reviewed on Pitchfork. And we've talked before about how some of their reviews are silly, but they um they gave his album a high score, called it best new music. And I read a bit of the review, and they talked about how they were like, "Oh, this album's really good." Da 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 da. And they were like, "People first discovered Barty Strange when he put out his EP of songs covering uh, EP of covers by the National." earlier in the summer. And I was Mm. like, okay, I'm going to have to listen to it then. (laughs) And yeah, he's got a few on his Spotify page. There's a bunch of covers of national songs. Like uh, there's a really good one of the Beast of the Geese of Beverly Road and uh, all the wine and stuff like that. So that was good. And then I listened to his album and his album is crazy. It parts of it sound like the national parts of it sound like sort of punk parts Mm. of it sound like Frank Ocean. And Part of it sounds like almost Kendrick Lamar, like it goes into hip-hop at times. He's totally untethered from genre in a really interesting way. So I've been enjoying his album a lot this week. It's worth checking out. There's a song on it called Mustang, which is really good. Um, And yeah, the core thing of that is that whatever genre he's uh, working with on any one song on the album, it's always just the songwriting skills are evident and his song craft is, is, is brilliant. So nice. I'd recommend checking that album out. Live cool. Forever by Barty Strange. Next up, I have been seeing people talk about a band for ages called Proto Martyr. Okay. They're from Detroit. They're a post-punk band. And they have, I've seen them repeatedly talked about in Idols fan groups as like a band that you know Idols fans should listen to. And I've always been like, yeah, I'll get to them one day. <laughs> then this week... In a national fan group, I'm on in Facebook, somebody posted about them saying, oh, I really like them, and they remind me a bit of the national. And then somebody commented being like, oh, and they're a bit like idols as well. And I was like, fine, I'll listen to them if if they're like idols and the national. So I did. Their newest album is called Ultimate Success Today. It came out this year, and it does. It's got sort of the punkiness of idols, and then the singer's voice mm. uh, at times sounds quite a lot like Matt Berninger from the national, and it mixes those two styles really well. And they also sound quite a lot like uh, Marky Smith from The Fall at times. And apparently I've not gone back, but their earlier albums sound a lot like The Fall, who are Amazing. a post-punk band from Manchester that were very prolific for years until mm. Marky Smith sadly passed away a couple of years ago. Um, but I like them quite a bit. So, yeah, that they they seem really good, Proto Martyr. Mm. I would recommend their album, Ultimate Success, today. Have you heard of them, Alex? No, I haven't actually. No. You should, you should check them out. There's yeah, I'll check them out, definitely. There's a donkey on the cover of their album. Mm. We all like a donkey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. And then um, I've been listening to ACDC. Have you heard of ACDC, Alex? What? Well, of course I have. <laughs> They're back. They've returned. Are they? Are yes. You... What? Are they alive? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somehow they're still alive. They put out an album in like 2013 called Rock yeah. or Bust, which was a bit 
not great and mm. the tour for that album sort of imploded the singer got fired and a bunch of other stuff happened and then um they sort of disappeared for a while and nobody knew what was going on with them and now they've just announced their big great return yeah. with um all of the like well other than i think one of the members of the band has died in the past couple of years but other than that the other kind of core members of the band are all back and they're putting out a new album in November. So they put out a single this week that I had to listen to and it sounds like an ACDC song. So <laughs> they haven't changed. Amazing. Well, yeah. is it good? Uh, it's Yeah, it's pretty good. It's called, I think it's called Shot in the Dark and it's good as, it, yeah. I mean, they I quite like ACDC, but they are very much, every song is kind of the same yeah. vibe. yeah. And I think they kind of were amazing when they were out. Yeah, definitely. Are they I saw... transferable to now? Um, I think so. I mean, I saw them live in 2010, and mm. it was one of it's one of the most impressive <laughs> shows I've ever seen. Yeah, because still. live they are pretty energetic, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. And mm. um, they sound re-energized on this new single. So I think I think this album could be a fun album to to uh, look forward to in November, hopefully. Nice. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's worth checking out. And then I've been playing a video game this week that I like a lot, so I'd like to talk about it, called Crash Bandicoot 4. It's about time. What? So Yes. So, uh, uh, sorry, because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert on video games, but I do know Crash Bandicoot. Of course you have do. They been, have they been releasing Crash Bandicoot for all this time? Well, Or have so, they stopped? Quick history lesson. In the 90s, Naughty Dog uh, developed three Crash Bandicoot games, Crash Bandicoot, Crash Bandicoot 2, Cortex Strikes Back, and Crash Bandicoot 3 Warped, uh, which I was big fans of. They were all released on the PlayStation 1. I think they were published by Sony. I think they were PlayStation Mm -hmm. exclusives. Um, Because I think Naughty Dog are owned by Sony now, I believe. So um, those three games are really popular platformers. I really liked them. I very specifically remember getting the second one as a Christmas present one year and being pretty happy with that. Uh, and then Naughty Dog sort of moved on and, well, after those games, they made like a kart racer called Crash Team Racing, which was pretty popular. Mm. I like that. Yeah. And they made a couple of other sort of, there was one called Crash Bash, which was like a party game thing. It was a bit a bit weak. Mm. But then they sold the Crash Bandicoot character to Activision and Naughty Dog went on to make uh, Jack and Daxter games and then uh, now are well known for making the Uncharted games and the Last of Us games on the, on the PlayStation 4. Okay. So... They've gone on to huge things. Crash Bandicoot sort of... Activision made a couple of their own Crash Bandicoot games after they brought the character, but none of them really made much impact and they're not particularly well regarded today. Mm. They're best left forgotten. But that original trilogy people have always loved. And about, I can't remember now, three, four years ago, Activision announced that they were doing a remaster of the original trilogy. So they announced the Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy where they had remade all three of those original games, like not just putting them out again, but like remade them entirely from the ground up with new graphics and, and stuff. Um, and that was a hugely popular release. So then they remastered the the kart racer, Crash Team Racing. Mm. Then they did a remaster of the original Spyro the Dragon games, which uh, is another character that Activision owns from back in the PlayStation days. That was yeah. really popular. And I think there's been a feeling for years that that kind of platformer isn't popular anymore and it's not what mm. people want to play because you know, Activision make Call of Duty and all these things. So I think it was a bit of a surprise to them maybe that these remastered 
old games came out and were huge. So they want to capitalise on that success. Mm. And as such, they have made, and it came out about a week ago, as we're recording, a direct sequel to the original trilogy to, called Crash Bandicoot 4. Mm. Uh, it's About Time, which is, a, which is a title that works on multiple levels. Let's yeah. go through them. Level one, <laughs> the story of the game is literally about time travel. You, yeah. Each little set of worlds is set in a different time. Okay. Uh, level two, it's about time that we had a new Crash Bandicoot game. Yeah. There's our two levels that that title works on. And it's 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 amazing. It's brilliant. It's it's exactly what Crash Bandicoot has always been. You're walking from left to right, smashing crates and mm. avoiding enemy attacks and stuff. And occasionally you're running in, away from the screen or towards the screen for various things. But the core gameplay is the same. But they've updated everything that needs to be updated to kind of make it work in 2020. So each level has a bunch of hidden things you can collect to unlock new costumes for your character. Okay. Um, there's different characters you can play as. So on any given level, you can play as Crash Bandicoot or his sister Coco, and they both play the same. But then there are other levels where you play as other characters. So you play as Torna, who is, mm. in the original Crash Bandicoot game, the kind of damsel in distress character that crashes trying to rescue and she's animated as just this very odd sexualized bandicoot girl it is weird <laughs> and kind of doesn't look great in 2020 so they've turned her into like a kind of alternative rocker okay. girl and she has like blue and pink hair and mm. stuff and she she's a very different looking character and it's quite i don't know i like the way they've updated her she has a grappling hook when you're playing as her and it kind of changes the gameplay up a bit he also plays dingo dial which was always my favorite boss character he's just his top half is a dingo and his bottom half is a crocodile. That's that's all you need to know about Dingo Dial. What's it called? Dingo Dial. Dingo Dial. And he's got a he's got an Australian accent and Amazing. he has a kind of big vacuum thing that can hoover up crates. He's good. Um yeah. there's a point halfway through where you unlock like a mirror mode, which is normally done in racing games, and it's just where the mm. track is flipped, the mirror image, so all the left turns become right turns. Yeah. In this, they've made the mirror mode where it does flip everything like that, but also each world has its own graphical change that they put on. So wow. in the first world, they take away all of the sort of texture of the level and you're just seeing the outlines of the shapes and you mm. can't really see much past where your character is. Whenever you do a spin attack, it can't, it's like it sends out a sonar signal that kind of reveals a bit more of the level. Uh, so that kind of changes up. And there's another one where... They've taken all the colour out of the level and it's all just black and white. And every time you do a spin attack, a bunch of paint sprays out of you and kind of recolors in the level and stuff. Um, so, yeah, there's just all these extra little bits and pieces that they've put in there to make it fun to play. And it just feels really tight. And I'd massively recommend it. I was quite sceptical of it because they've put it out as a full priced game, mm. uh, which in the UK <clears> is like £55, which is a lot of money for a Crash Bandicoot game. I thought... So I did the classic teenager thing of taking some old games to a game shop and selling them in exchange for credit. And I got Crash Bandicoot for a pound, which was pretty wow. good. Yeah. I How many games the... did you have to sell for that? Uh, I sold the new Paper Mario game, which I think is terrible, but there's not too much... I don't want to get into that because I love Mario, but I just I really think they missed the mark on that. Okay. And I got... Because that's quite new. I got about £28 for that. And then... I sold um, Two Point Hospital, which is a good game, but I've got it on the Switch and I've built a gaming PC since then, so I don't really... I, it's a whole thing. I don't want it on the Switch okay. anymore. And the newest Star Wars game, which I just sort of fell off from and didn't really love. Uh, not okay. Star Wars Squadrons that just came out, but it's called Jedi Fallen Order. So I sold those three games and together got about 50 quid for them, so I managed to get Crash Bandicoot 4 for just 
that wow. one pound fifty. That's so expensive. I didn't. I didn't realize. Um... <laughs> Alex, you've got. You've got no, the PlayStation Five is coming out in November. Yeah. And the games for that. The, the games for that are going to cost like the main ones are going to cost seventy pounds. Are you crazy? No, I'm not crazy. Sony is crazy. But I, I guess, like from what you're saying, the well, the amount of work they've put in graphic, in like you know, if they're creating different worlds in one video game, like uh, there's like, a lot of work behind it, and I understand that. But I never thought they would be so expensive because. Yeah, I mean the thing is, like with each new, with each new graphical upgrade to consoles, like each new mm. console generation, the cost of developing games increases. These these are games that are made by teams of hundreds, if not thousands, yeah. of people. They cost hundreds upon hundreds of millions of dollars to make. Yeah, they charge that much for them because they they want to make money from them. But then the consumer, I mean. 70 pounds for a new game it's you have to really know that that money. game is going to so like for example i've i've pre-ordered a playstation 5 because i had to and <laughs> did you <laughs> yes. just a moment did you have to yes i did i had i had to yes <laughs> um and one of the launch games for it is uh, a remake of a game called Demon's Souls. And we're not going to get into it too much today, but at some point we'll do an episode on video games and I will talk more about how much I like a game called Dark Souls. And Demon's Souls came before Dark Souls and I love it. And they've done, they've done a big remaster of it and I have to play it. So I will be paying the stupid price for how that game. How much is it? It's £70. It's £70. No, no, but the, uh, pay- the PlayStation, PlayStation 5. 5. It's four hundred and fifty pounds. Excuse Alex. me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of money. Yeah, it really is. That's... Anyway, uh, I watched some films as well. <laughs> <laughs> Let's forget about it. Move um, on. moving on. Moving I watched on. a film on Netflix called The Devil All the Time. Fantastic. Yeah, have you heard of it? Nope. Okay. It just came out. It's a 2020 movie. Yeah. It stars Tom Holland, who you might know as Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And uh, he plays a young man in kind of, I think, Midwest America, kind of, you know, I'll I'll, I'll just say up top, this is a very Coen Brothers-esque movie. So, you know, okay. the kind of areas of the world that Coen Brothers movies mm. are set in. Yeah. It's somewhere around there. He's from a place called Knock'em Stiff, I think, which is a great town name. Um. He plays a young man. His dad in it is played by Peter Skarsgård. Is it Peter Skarsgård? There's quite a lot of Skarsgårds in Hollywood at the moment. It would be hard <laughs> to keep up with them. But I'm pretty sure... Uh, no, it's not Skarsgård. Peter Skarsgård. It's Bill Skarsgård. Sorry. Are they all related? Bill... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Their dad is Stellan Skarsgård, who you'll know from... Gosh, he's been in loads of stuff. He's awesome. He was in Mamma Mia. That's not the right movie to like discuss him with. Um... <laughs> All I can think of is the bad things he's been in. He was in the second Pirates of the Caribbean movie playing oh. um, that boy, Orlando Bloom's dad. But he's been in good stuff as well. I just can't you remember. You just called Orlando Bloom that boy. Yeah, he is. He's that boy. Um, yeah, anyway. Like much older than you. Yeah, but he still feels like it. He's the calcium kid, isn't he? So The what? He was in a movie called The Calcium Kid years okay. ago that was bad. Okay. It was about okay, boxing sorry. or something. By the way, the UK government has put out a careers analysis tool thing where you answer a bunch of questions and it tells you what job you should do. Yeah. <laughs> it told me I should be a boxer, which is... No! Hysterical. 
Uh, that is just the, the results from that have been hilarious. Yeah. Like, and it, for each job, it tells you what the wages might be and when the hours might be and stuff. And for Boxer, it's just like variable, variable. Who knows? <laughs> but yeah, because it's an insane career path to just set out. <laughs> like, I'm anyway. sorry, but you're you're the uh, you. I cannot see you as a boxer. No, you're I like, don't think I'd you're like a gentle giant. You yeah. would be like no. I'm, I'm very, also very unfit. I would not. <laughs> I would not get very far as a boxer. Anyway, and I'm dyspraxic. It didn't ask if you're dyspraxic. If I told it it was dyspraxic, it would have definitely told me not to do boxing. No, anyway. definitely. Oh, <laughs> it would be, um, be an interesting. <laughs> it'd be so interesting to see you box. It would be like <laughs> that episode of The Simpsons. So. Uh, I love that. <laughs> so bizarre. So Bill uh, Skarsgård plays Tom Holland's dad in this movie. Bill okay. Skarsgård is the guy that played Pennywise in the newest It films. Okay. Uh, good actor. It's also got um, the guy that played Dudley in the original Harry Potter movie, the original, in the Harry Potter <laughs> movies, um, plays a preacher in it. And there's a scene where he pours spiders all over his head. Okay. And he actually, it, they're not, C- I thought they were CGI. No, the guy just pours this oh. jar of spiders over oh his own butt. It's bizarre. This movie is, it's a crazy film. Mm. And probably the highlight for me is Robert Pattinson. Robert Pattinson plays a preacher in this film. And as he is doing repeatedly at the moment, he mm. is, steals the film. He is so, so good in this movie. Yeah. Um. Anyway, the devil all the time. It's a thriller. It's a, it's like a Southern Gothic thriller. It's very much like a Coen Brothers movie, but with all the black comedy just taken out of it, and it's just grim and dark and unpleasant all the way through. It's had like a real range of reviews because some people really like that, and some people really, really didn't. Um, but I really liked it. I thought it was. I actually thought it was fantastic. But it, I mean, it's one of those movies where if you look at what a character is about to do and you think of what is the worst possible result of that action, that is what will happen in the film. <laughs> like, it is pretty bleak uh, as a film but no i'd recommend it the devil all the time give it a go the other big new netflix movie at the moment that i also watched is enola holmes which is very different have you uh heard of enola holmes alex yes yes and i really want to watch it yeah it's it's good Bill, millie bobby brown from stranger things uh she plays 11 in stranger things plays enola holmes the younger sister of sherlock and mycroft holmes mm. and her mum played by helena bottom carter Mm. Her mum goes missing. Sherlock and Mycroft turn up to the family house. Hoose? Hoose? The family hoose. <laughs> the family hoose. <laughs> Sherlock and Mycroft. Uh, Sherlock Holmes, by the way, played by Henry Cavill. Which. An know, absolute legend. Yeah. Uh, Mycroft Especially played, after those films. That film. Uh, well, yeah, no, let's less said about Superman, the better. But. <laughs> Uh, Mycroft Holmes, the other brother, is played by, I think he's called Sam Claflin, and I only know him from one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, but he's fine in this. Enola Holmes, her mum goes missing. They turn yeah. up to try and help find her, uh, but Mycroft is, is like very Victorian and does and wants Enola to kind of be a young woman and be trained properly because that's mm. not what her the mum has been doing. The mum has been raising her kind of as a bit of a sort of adventurous, rebellious yeah. girl. Sherlock Holmes is much more distant and tries to kind of not really take any part in it. Enola ends up running away to look for her mum and gets involved in another adventure as well. It's a fun, like, it's a fun, exciting kind of adventure film in the vein of something like, I don't know, The Goonies, maybe. That sort of oh, thing, but set in the Victorian wow. time. I quite liked it. I did enjoy it. The only issue for me is it's it's a touch over two hours long, and honestly... Oh, okay. 
it barely has a plot. It it really could be an hour and a half. It could be a tight mm. ninety minutes and be about, you know, a star yeah. rating higher. If you see what I mean. Mm. Um, as it is, it just runs slightly too long, in my opinion. But mm. definitely worth watching. Definitely, everyone should give it a go. Let's see. Then I watched a movie called Becky. Oh my word, Becky. Becky stars Kevin James. Do you know Kevin James? I don't think so. Kevin James is Adam Sandler's mate. He starred in King of Queens and he played Paul Blartmore. Ah, yes, yes, I know him. Yes. I didn't know his name was Kevin James. Yeah, yeah, it's a very anonymous name, isn't it? <laughs> so just picture that man in your mind. You know him as Paul Blartmore Cop. Yeah. Becky is a film where a young girl called Becky is rebellious. Her mother has died. Her dad is played by Joel McHale from Community. You know him. Mm, I do. Um... Joel McHale from Community has started a new relationship with a new lady who is played by the woman from Working Moms, who uh, the guy that looks like Chris Pratt briefly goes out with and she's worried about uh, having children. Do you know her? Okay, yeah. 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 She plays the kind of stepmother character. There's a there's a, there's a a brother, a younger brother, a stepbrother as well. They go off to a family cottage for the weekend to have a, a you know, like a cottage in the woods kind of thing. Mm-hmm. To have a weekend together as a family, they're having quite fractious times because Becky's really upset about you know a new relationship after her mum dying and all this kind of thing. Kevin James, Paul Blart Mallcop, yes, plays a neo-Nazi prisoner with a massive swastika tattoo on the back of his shaved head and a huge beard who escapes from prison and needs a key, and the movie doesn't quite explain what he needs the key for, but he needs this key, which is in this cottage that Becky and her family are staying in. Okay. And basically, Kevin James turns up with his white supremacist friends, uh, holds the family hostage to look for this key. Becky escapes, and this young preteen girl goes on a wonderfully violent rampage of revenge against Kevin James and his white supremacist friends. It is a bonkers film, and I very much enjoyed it. You should... <laughs> Definitely, definitely worth checking out. Um, if you like, okay. to, if you like to see unpleasant, horrible people being violently, um, you know, to- told why their views are wrong. Anyway, Becky's good. Nice. Uh, then I watched a film. A, a, I watched a Swedish. I think it's Swedish slash Danish uh, film from this year called Coco D Coco Da, mm-hmm. which is a movie about a couple whose young daughter, this happens right at the start, whose young daughter um, is not, something something bad happens to their their daughter that causes a rift in their marriage, right? Mm. And then they go on holiday, Mm. just the two of them, to kind of try and heal their marriage. They go camping. And (laughs) they, they previously had brought a little music box for their daughter with fairy tale characters on it. Those fairy tale characters turn up at their tent and attack them and kill them. And then the husband wakes up in the tent and it happens again. And it's a bit like Groundhog Day, but it's okay. completely like one of these fairy tale characters spends the entire film carrying a dead dog around. It's okay. it's completely it's it's one of the strangest movies I've ever seen. It's really weird. It's like this odd horror, but it's not quite a horror film, Groundhog Day mad thing uh that's worth checking out it's very very interesting i think you can rent it on amazon video at the moment and uh okay. yeah i'd recommend that coco d coco da if you like kind of odd strange films um definitely give that one a go then last week thursday 
Cineworld shuts all of its cinemas in the UK because James Bond has been delayed to April next year and the cinema industry is struggling quite a lot. Yeah. So I what I went to the cinema on the last day before it shuts to see a film that has been advertised for so long and finally got a release just before the kind of curtain fell. Yeah. Uh, Saint Maud. Okay. St. Maud is a movie about a girl, a young woman called Maud, who at the very start of the movie, something horrific happens to her and it cuts her head and she is a nurse, a private nurse, uh, working uh, in this seaside town somewhere in the UK, I don't mm. think it's set. And she turns up at this house uh, to look after this woman who is sort of dying of a terminal illness mm. and Saint and Maud, who has kind of had a religious awakening, takes it upon herself to save not only this woman's health but her soul as well and mm. attempt to convert her. Uh, it goes to some extremely dark places. It it, it 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 sort of is a look at faith and kind of how people can try and use, use faith to overcome extreme grief and trauma and maybe when that doesn't entirely work out what might happen it's a it's a it's a great film i really really like saint maud it's probably one of the best films i've seen this year uh, wow. it's got some really tough to watch scenes with some oh, i'm trying to is it flagellation what's the word for like religiously kind of yeah yeah um flagellation yeah, self-flagellation fla- so, self so there's like various scenes of different ways of herself kind of self-flagellating herself for like not Ooh. kind of not kind of Fulfilling God's wish, if you see what I mean. Oh my goodness! It reminded me quite a bit of another film called A Dark Song, which is available on Amazon Prime in the UK at least, which is brilliant mm. as well, worth watching. Um, but yeah, and it's got it, as I've mentioned a few times, I love a brilliant final shot, and the final yeah. shot of Maud Saint Maud is awesome. Like the final, the final twelve frames or so of the film are just mm. brilliant. So yeah, that's probably my biggest recommendation of this week is Saint Maud. The only thing to talk about is a film called, well, okay, I've got a bit. I've got a little bit. I've got a little comedy bit that I've prepared. Do you want to hear my little comedy bit? Hit me. Okay. So. <laughs> but is it, is it, is it, does it include me, this comedy bit? Or is it just you by yourself? Is it just like me, a little Just me stand-up? by myself. Just a little bit of uh, observation. So, okay. um, the London Film Festival is happening at the moment. Yes. And. Uh, because of coronavirus and everything, they have taken it virtual this year. So the London Film Festival is online, okay. meaning that anyone can join in and watch the films through the BFI player as they run the London Film Festival. The BFI player is um, the British Film Institute's kind of streaming service that they run. Um, so there's a couple of films that I wanted to watch as part of their festival, one of them being uh, Possess- Possessor, Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a film by David Cronenberg's son, Brandon Cronenberg, and I'm watching mm. that next week. So on our next Culture Catch-Up, I'll be able to talk a bit about that, but I'm really excited to watch that. The other one was a film called Relic, which is um, a film I've been hearing people describe as pretty good, so I wanted to check it out. So I uh, booked a virtual ticket to attend the screening of Relic, and I would like to commend the BFI for fully encapsulating the cinema experience via their virtual festival because very these the following things happened when I sat down to watch Relic through the BFI player. I finished my popcorn before the film started. <laughs> I had to watch the same advert five times 
Okay. And the film started half an hour after it was advertised as starting. So even within my own home, all of the joys of the cinema were brought Aww, directly to me. Thank that's you, amazing. Yeah. Well done, BFI. But it was a pretty good movie. It's about a lady who uh, her mother disappears. She lives alone in this big house in the sort of the countryside in Australia. She disappears, so she goes. So this woman goes with her daughter to the grandmother's house to look for her grandmother. The grandmother eventually turns up, won't tell them where she's been, and weird things start happening. And it's kind of all a bit of a metaphor for dementia. And um, it's got a pretty cool. wild. The last twenty minutes are like it was a very slow start. It was a slow burn, and then the final twenty minutes the whole thing just explodes, uh, which cool. is pretty good. So ultimately, in the end, it's, it's a pretty good film. Not quite as good as St. Maud, and I'm expecting bigger things next week from Possessor. But um, Fantastic. But yeah. So that, Sorry, I ran quite long there, but that is my culture catch-up for this week. Yeah, Thank and uh, that's, uh, that's all the time we have for today. So speak again next week, everyone. Bye. How are you feeling, Alex? Wow. Uh, well, I... I, I I definitely haven't been as busy as you in the culture time. That's um, okay. This week I'm going to talk mainly about music and about a TV series. Okay. So I tried to watch a film and um, and um, I switched it off. I'm not sure if I haven't got the attention span at the moment for films. I what no was idea. the film? Can you say? Oh, goodness. Um, it w- It's called... The film that I tried to watch uh, was co- it's called Good Boys. And it's produced by Seth Oh, I've seen Good Rogan. Boys. Oh my goodness, is the biggest pile of rubbish. I can't say any <laughs> other word. That it was just so because I love children swearing. I love when you have like children being, you know, ridiculous. But this was just boring. I watched maybe 20 minutes and it's only an hour and an hour and 20 minutes. Like it's not yeah, even like a, a full-length film. But I just thought that was so stupid and predictable and not original and oh, I just and I just switched off. Yeah, I, kind of I watched I watched the entire thing and it is fairly forgettable. Which is ridiculous because in IMDb it's like six point seven out of ten, and I wouldn't even I wouldn't even give it that. It's just um, you you know it's uh, it because it's like it's from the creators of Superbad, but Superbad was good because it was an original idea at the time. But you can't carry on creating Superbad, can you? Yeah. Well, do you know what else was from the creators of Superbad? That North Korea interview film with yeah. James Franco in it, which is yeah, awful, which was absolutely so. rubbish. I remember yeah, that. I remember we... thinking, is this what all the fuss has been about? This yeah, terrible it, film. It was so Ugh. terrible. And I felt the same with this film. And I thought, well, I'm not even going to give it t- the time to watch it. And could that just kind of put me off films. And i just been listening to lots of music. That's fair. And so what music um, have you listened to? So um, on my Spotify, the new, uh, the new Bon Iver single uh, popped up, which is called A-U-A-T-C. Yeah, he's been putting out singles with odd names recently. So. Yeah, and... Um, I thought, oh my goodness, I haven't listened to Bonnie Bear for a while um, and I really liked the single and then remembered that I didn't listen to uh, the album 22 uh, A Million. Yeah, great. Yeah, because I was going through our time and all these people like... loving it and being all like oh my god Bonifair did it again and it was just like it, just social media just went all crazy on it and um and that really annoyed me because you know certain people I knew that loved Bonifair absolutely ripped me apart for liking Kanye West when 
they actually work together. And so I was like, I don't know, I didn't listen. I was like, I don't want yeah, to. Yeah, and that twenty two that twenty two million album is very influenced by uh, Kanye. So influenced, and that really annoyed me because we have this pure this music purist that go, oh, Kanye's. You know, it, it, they probably listen to one Kanye song and know about him and have an opinion on him. But then they go, oh, Bon Iver's album is like the best thing I've ever listened to. And so I just was like, I don't want to listen to the album. And I never, I, I made it, I don't know, I just didn't listen to it. And so this week I listened to that album, which I thought was amazing yeah it's a great, and so great. uh you know and so inspired by Kanye West and Kanye West was inspired by Bonnie Vey it just looks like a really it's a really interesting album and how he changes his voice in it mm-hmm. and uh, the way that he uses instruments is really really good I actually listened to it a few times and then the other album I I that that was a pretty that's a really good album as well. Yeah, I I is a, does a really good job of blending the sound of 22 million with the sounds of his earlier albums, I exactly. think. Exactly. And I really I much I enjoyed it much more than 22 million. Not that mm. I didn't like, but I thought, "Oh, that's really good." And I really I'm really enjoying the journey that he's going through, you know? Yeah, is like his every album, but he's a, it's a collective of people. It's not just him, isn't it? Well, I think he has like, a backing band behind him, but I think yeah. cre- creatively he's sort of the the main thrust of Bonnie Bear. Yeah, uh, but like the, I, the I, very first album I think he recorded entirely on his own in like a shed or a cabin. Yeah, yeah. But I I think like his 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 album journey is really really interesting and it's kind of like a really good evolution. And in fact, the new the new single is really really good. I really yeah. enjoy it, and it's kind of he is going with the times, yeah. which I think it's important for an artist and, yeah, and that's why people are like oh my god it's a sellout just the, leave the, artists do what they want to do the song he did with taylor swift on her new album is, is very good as well that is one swift of my favorite yeah and that was one of my favorite taylor swift albums but i can i can tell you that music purists would be like oh my god i can't believe uh but if i worked with taylor swift that's yeah What's wrong with Taylor Swift? It's funny because to hear Taylor Swift talk about it in an interview, like she was really, or I think somebody else talked about it, like she was apparently very starstruck by the fact that Bonnie Vare agreed to be on her song, even though she's like, you know, biggest artist in the world just about at the moment. Uh, She's obviously a huge fan of of his and his music, and she was really nervous about asking him to be on the song, and he said yes, and I think it was a really powerful collaboration because they both respect each other musically. Exactly. And is that not amazing that like somebody like Bon Iver respects Taylor Swift and somebody like Taylor Swift respects Bon Iver? You know, they're yeah. two diff- they're polar opposites. Why can people not respect each other and respect their differences? Is not is that not what the aim is? Yeah. <laughs> not really? like hate on people and uh but yeah, so I thought, you know, but yeah, I'm getting back into it cuz I think I don't I don't I don't have those music purists in my in my brain in my head anymore, so that's good. Bad news. You know who you are. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then uh, randomly on my Spotify, um, this uh, artist came up, and her name is Yasmin Lacey. Have you ever heard of her? No, that doesn't ring a bell. Yeah, um, I ca- I haven't found much uh, information about her because uh, there isn't. But um, she's um, uh, I I listened to her album Morning Matters. No, it's not an album; it's an EP, and um, it was under jazz, and it's kind of I think it's called modern jazz or something like that. Mm. And um, she's got an amazing voice, and her songs are really like 
um jazzy but also with some like uh hip-hop and rock and motown it's just like a very good um mixtures of things and i i, I really and, and she's got her voice is beautiful and um she's british but i'm not really sure she's from london or newcastle because i can't find much information about her but her ep morning matters is really really good and um she's released a few things but uh, i think this is the latest one and it just popped up on my spotify randomly and i just listened to it like a few times and it's really 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 good so mm. i think she's definitely someone to check out but i'm not i find i found videos on youtube from three years ago so i would ima i would have imagined to find more information about her but there is not much so i can tell you that she's british either from nottingham or london <laughs> and <laughs> she's great it's weird when you don't find information about artists isn't it yeah yeah it is yeah and it's just like oh i'm gonna talk about her and uh, i haven't found anything but she is good definitely check her out maybe not something that i would usually listen to but um i'm uh, i don't know since starting the podcast i'm opening more my horizons and listening to full albums like you told me to <laughs> and uh no but it's it's because I think I think listening to music has changed a lot in the past few years. And I think we, as growing up, we were lucky enough to just have CDs or cassettes and listen to an album fully. But then when yeah. streaming services arrived, then you've become, well, I definitely became more eclectic on, you know, putting things on shuffle and stuff yeah. like that. But I think now I'm kind of, uh, especially thanks to you and Dissect, I kind of thought, okay, give give albums uh, a chance again. Not yeah, just definitely. Songs. I'm a big proponent of the album yeah. as a piece of art. rather. Which, than... that's how I, I started listening to music. So yeah. I'm not sure, but I think it's just because of streaming services like Spotify that you can just listen to anything. Yeah, anytime. yeah, no, exactly. But I, I like the I like the album. Yeah. And then, um, so, and then, um, there's this, uh, I know you said that we were too old for TikTok, but I, I have TikTok and yeah, I spend a lot of time on TikTok. TikTok, but there's this uh, TikTok trend at the moment that fuses two songs. And, um, one is a song by, uh, Bear Miller, who I have no idea who it is, who she is, which is just the, the song is called Feel Something, which is a, is a good song. Yeah. But the second part of the songs it fuses with is a song by Labyrinth called uh, Still Don't Know My Name or I Don't Know My Name, right. um, which is part of the soundtrack of uh, this TV series called Euphoria. I don't know if you heard about it. I've heard of Euphoria, but I've not yeah. watched it. Is that the one that so, Zendaya's in? Zendaya. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've heard, I've heard amazing things, and I think Zendaya won an Emmy for it, and um, uh, one of the um, actors uh, from from it used to be it was in the kissing booth, you know. Wow. Whatever. I know, amazing. Uh, <laughs> and so I listened to the soundtrack. Uh, so Labyrinth, I realized, made the entire soundtrack for um, Euphoria. Uh -huh. uh, if people don't know, Labyrinth is a um, British singer, songwriter, rapper, record producer, everything, um, which he's pretty cool. And he did the entire soundtrack of Euphoria. So I thought, oh, I like this song. So I listened to the um, soundtrack nice soundtrack very moody not uh very um 
he doesn't sing in many of the songs. It's mainly like um, music. Yeah. So I decided to watch Euphoria. Okay. So what's Euphoria? And I say Euphoria is about uh, well, the main character is Zendaya. This girl uh, called Rue, uh, played by Zendaya, and she is addicted to drugs. and um she has an overdose and um she goes to rehab and when she comes out she has to kind of like be clean but she has no intentions of uh, keeping clean and she goes back to school and you start seeing all her school mates they're not friends like people that she goes to school with and um she uh, makes friends with this new girl in school, which uh, turns out to be a transgender girl. And they become best friends. Uh, and uh, that's it. That's pretty much what happens. And uh, yeah, and that's the plot. I don't want to say too much. But uh, yes. So it's basically if Skins and you remember Skins? I remember Skins. Channel for a um, series about kids in high school. Yeah, teen uh, drama. Teen drama. It would be if Skins and Sex Education had a baby and the baby was on steroids. Right, okay. That sounds like an awful baby. <laughs> it is. Uh, uh, it, like, the the problem... Okay, so... The acting is amazing. Right. Every actor is really, really good. They put 100%. I think Zendaya is beautiful in it. Mm. Um, this um, really amazing that um, uh, Hunter Schaefer, uh, she plays uh, Jules, who is a transgender girl. And in real life, she's transgender as well. So that's really positive that, you know, a transgender um, girl gets cast in a transgender role absolutely she i think this is her first role right. and she is mesmerizing like mm. beautiful she acts with such she's so natural and mesmerizing like every time she's on screen you're like in awe she's beautiful and um she used to be a mod well i think she's still a model um and i thought she was amazing and i think you know the acting is really really good but i'm not sure who who is this program aimed to at right because it's 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 very toxic everybody is very toxic everything and everybody is just not very nice like everyone is very angry and dark it's extremely explicit and graphic right like extremely and i i know that i know that kids watch pornography i know that but to put it in a series to put that in a series where teenagers are going to watch it i don't think i personally don't believe that it should be done in a way because you're supposed to be different from pornography you're supposed to be but how, isn't sex education quite explicit? I knew you were going to say this, and it is quite explicit. You, at one point, <laughs> when you were watching it, when you were watching sex education, you sent me a clip of this girl having sex with her boyfriend, and uh, she was saying, oh, uh, you want to do this, you want to do that. And then yeah. he looks at her saying, no, I don't want to. And yeah. that kind of that kind of shows you that you don't have to be this way just because other boys told you to. And also she wasn't, fully 
naked. I don't know. It's I, I would like you to watch it just to see what I mean because it is so violent the sex like it's really violent and graphic and also right. it it just jumps it doesn't really have a point it jumps from here to here and this and that and is is it is it good is it bad what's your opinion I found it very erratic yeah I don't know I felt like for something that is so popular and so um mainstream and Zendaya won an Emmy for it I feel like I mm. couldn't grasp what the meaning was of this euphoria that's interesting you watched the entire thing I watched the entire thing it's like eight, eight episodes of an hour so it's eight hours and the, and they're gonna have another seri- series and I was like oh, I can't I won't I won't watch another series of that but it's so dark and I feel sometimes they were just doing it just for the sake of it and that's and that's i think what annoyed me the most because that's what differentiates it from w- sex education exactly because i feel sex education does it to make a point but here i couldn't see the point of it i felt really weirded out about it because i felt like who's watching this who's watching because just... i'm an adult i'm watching it and i'm weirded out about it yeah. what about a kid and if you just watch the first episodes, the the language they use with girls is awful. They use I don't know if I can yeah. say it. Can I, George? They use slut. They use bitch. They use whore. And I was thinking, if a kid watches just the first episode of this, this is mm. it. Just I just felt sick, and I don't know if that's what the point they wanted to make, but there was no nothing got better. Yeah, and it made the, and it made mm. the world look like it was just awful. And it, you know, it, it needs. I feel like if it's doing that, it needs to be making a point about an issue in society rather than just doing it for the sake of yeah. it. Yeah, and at one point, the issue was, you know, Zendaya is uh, um is addicted to drugs because she suffers from, I think, ADHD, uh, and she's bipolar, and she um suffers also from um OCD. So mm. she takes these kind of some some sort of drugs to sort her out. So I thought, okay, so this shows the um, the way that in America drugs are just given out like that. But then she's addicted to drugs, and then that's it. I was like, okay, I don't know. I I I would like somebody that is not you know, if if you have time, if you can find it, I think at least the first episode would be an interesting watch because I just didn't know what what the what the point was yeah yeah i'll try and watch the first episode it does say here on wikipedia that it was criticized for marketing graphic adult content towards teens so you're definitely not alone in in your view i i just i don't know i just feel like if you're gonna be like that i think you have to be intelligent and i think sex education was very intelligent about it um okay well so i think it's yeah clear that you weren't really inspired by euphoria no, not at no. all. Not at all. But, you know, the acting is good, though. Uh, I feel like these actors are going to go over and up and are going to be amazing. Sit down at the back and be quiet and get out your book because it's time to discuss your homework. Now. So, my homework was to watch Noragami. Yes. Uh, an anime from 2014, I think, around then. Yeah. 
uh, ran for 12 episodes, one season. Mm-hmm. But apparently there is a second season with a different name. Uh, but yeah. I, yeah. Didn't, I didn't watch that. No, it's not. It's it's not that great. No, okay. So we're really just talking about that, that main first season, of one season of Noragami. Yeah. It's about a girl called Hiyori. Mm. Uh, in the first episode, she's walking along the street and she sees a man run into the street to rescue a cat from a bus. Yeah. Being hit by a bus. And she jumps in to save the guy, pushes him out of the way. She gets hit by the bus herself and mm-hmm. is um, almost killed. The guy she had saved turns out to be a god called Yato. And his... Um, yeah, a god called Yato, and he, because she saw him as this thing happened, she somehow gets caught between the world, essentially the world of the living and the world of like the dead or the world of gods. Mm. Um, Mm. and she gets this, like, she'll, this thing starts happening to where she'll fall asleep in the real world and then she'll have like a spirit form that has a tail, uh, that comes Mm. out and then she, she kind of is normally doing that when she sees the, the uh, Yato, the god and stuff. And then there's various different gods uh, that have their own shrines, but Yato doesn't have his own shrine. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they all have weapons that they call regalias that are like real spirits of people mm. that have died that that kind of are seen as like, they look like people and you talk to them, but then when a fight starts, they call their weapon name and they turn into a weapon. So what the other, like mm. the third main character after Hiyori and Yato is... Um, Yukine, who is a regalia that Yato gets uh, near the start of the series. Uh, mm. And then they sort of go on an adventure, a few various adventures exploring the world and how it all works. Uh, and it kind of culminates in Yato having a big showdown with another, because Yato is like a war god, a god of calamity or something. Yeah. So he goes yeah. on this big showdown with uh, another god of calamity that kind of wants to. Um, carry on being sort of, you know, quite evil and, and mm. bad. And Yato obviously wants to sort of change. And I think that's kind of meant to be why he doesn't have his own shrine and things and struggles a lot mm. because he's trying to be a better god. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, more successful than Hilda because I watched the whole series. <laughs> yeah. Which is good. More successful than Hilda. Um, and, yeah, and I liked it. It's a, it's a, it was a fun watch. It's a good show. It mm. left me with a few questions. It didn't. I felt like it didn't fully wrap up everything that I wanted to know. If you see what I mm. mean, like stuff like, yeah. why is Yato where he is now? Like, what led him to go from being the war god he was a hundred years ago, or whatever, to being sort of the like what what change of heart did he have? What led to his change of heart? Yeah. Um, and more about it really focuses in on the regalias and how they work. And the main thrust mm. of the series is kind of the relationship between Yato and his regalia, Yukine. Um, mm. And how the link that they have means that, you know, when one of them does something wrong, it affects the other and stuff. And that's all done yeah. quite well. I enjoyed that. Um, mm. There's a scene where they have to cleanse him, uh, which is really good. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, that was all really good. But I just felt like definitely it could have, like, it could have gone on longer and kind of look, answered a few more questions about the world, particularly about Hiori and like why that has happened to her and what it means. Yeah. Um, mm. I feel like she starts off kind of fighting a little bit and then it just sort of 
they're like, oh no, don't fight, you shouldn't fight. And then she spends the rest of the series just sort of watching them fight. Mm, yeah. And her her place mm. in the group never seems... Like, I felt like, it, especially the final episode, it really feels like it's building up to a point where she's really going to, like, her place in the world and why she is the way she is is really going to be, like, decided on. And it just kind of doesn't come. So I did, I, mm. I really enjoyed it. I liked it, but I definitely feel like it just misses out on brilliance by not fully exploring a few of the ideas, which are really interesting ideas. Um, mm. uh, what I, I guess one thing I wasn't super keen on or found a bit odd was there's a lot of weird sexual humour in it. And like weird, yeah. like strange innuendo and double entendres and stuff. Yeah. And I found those jokes a bit... Out of place and a bit strange, okay. but I okay. liked I liked the characters. I liked the character of Yato a lot, and uh, you mm. y- got on my got on my nerves a lot. Oh yeah, he's he's like the worst. Cause he was irritating. I think he's trying to. Well, he doesn't really know his place, does he? So I think he's a bit of a, like a struggling teenager, and that's why he's like yeah. that. And I think I think they managed to do it really well because sometimes you just go shut up, you can yeah, no. go away. Go and Definitely go somewhere else. Yeah. Um, but in the middle of in the middle of the series, there's like a run of episodes where like that's happening repeatedly, and it's like we need to mm. get to. Um, yeah, like you're just becoming irritating. But yeah, no, I did like it. I mean, what I mean, what what do you like most about it? What why like why do you love it so much? I like I love the idea of it, and I think that's the might. My the main thing I like about it is just the idea of like gods having uh, regalias and uh, him trying to uh, to re- reinvent himself and not be the god of war that is like evil, but he wants to like um, make, have his own shrine. And I don't know, I just really like the idea of it. I think it's kind of original and different. And um yeah, I don't know. I just that's 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 the main thing I like about it. Yeah, that's fair. I like the setting. Yeah. I like the urban fantasy sort of yeah. setting. I like the way the phantoms are animated. Yeah. Um. Yeah. They look really cool. Hey, I like when the eyes pop. You know, when yeah. the eyes pop out, and you go yeah. like, "Oh, that's just a, a really interesting idea of how to like show uh a, like an evil creature." Yeah. Because it is pretty disgusting. So yeah, yeah I think I think. I think um, that's why. It reminded me quite a bit, especially that sort of design work on the Phantoms and that bit of the world reminded me a lot of Persona, you know, the the video game series. Yeah, yeah. Um, Persona mm. 4 yeah. in particular. The, there's mm. an anime, I haven't watched it, but there is an anime for Persona 4 that I think okay. you would enjoy based on mm. um, Naragami because they're quite similar, the stories and the, the, mm. the style of them and stuff. So yeah. I'd recommend checking and that out. And that's the other thing. Sorry? That's the other thing I like is the style. The style yeah. is really good. Yeah. In Noragami, I think it's just like so. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. No. So yeah. No, I liked it. It wasn't. You know, I think working moms and sex education are still the biggest wins from recent times on the homework front, and wasn't quite as successful as that. But I definitely was in favour of it overall. Cool. Um. Well, I'm glad you watched it all, and you weren't as negative as last week. <laughs> Uh, so I watched One Punch Man or One Padman. One Padman. Uh, which is the story of Saitama, who is a 
uh, an unlikely hero uh, and um, in a world full of superheroes where there is constant attacks from people and monsters, uh, aliens, etc, uh, etc. Et and everybody wants to be a hero. Yeah. And unfortunately, Saitama is not liked by many people. He's not known by many people and is, <laughs> is always very, you know, I don't know. It's not, it's, it's definitely an unlikely hero. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, and he, 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 it seems at the beginning, he really wants to be popular and liked, but then uh, the more, the, the towards the end, he kind of like accepts his role as the silly hero. Oh, the hero that nobody knows or likes. Uh, although he is the strongest hero. Yes. Which is crazy because everybody loves like the 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 people's favorite hero is this guy on a bicycle who yeah. does nothing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and everybody loves him, but nobody likes Saitama, which is really crazy. Uh but yeah, so um it's an interesting series. Yeah. Anime. I I definitely had some uh, laugh out loud moments. Yeah, yeah. I sent you a picture funny. the other day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I sent you a picture the other day. Like in the first episode, there's this kid with like a chin that looks like a bum, and it's hilarious. What is? <laughs> and uh, so this kid gets attacked by uh, this uh, crab monster, and yeah. that's when and then Saitama helps the kid with the bum chin, but it's not like a bum chin; it's like a proper bum chin. Yeah. Um, I think you should put a photo uh, on online to show people what that bum chin looks like. Will do. Or you should, or people should watch uh, One Punch Man. Oh, recommendation. And that, yeah. And oh, 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 oh no! I already give it away. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, maybe, maybe it's not a positive recommendation. Uh, I did tell you to watch Euphoria, and I do. I don't recommend it to anyone. But um, never Fair mind. Enough. And that's when Saitama decides to become a hero and uh, when after this thing. And then there's also at one point he has a t-shirt. I don't know if you ever noticed that says Oppai. Oh, vaguely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he's got this t-shirt that says boobs. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just he's a really unlikely hero and he's just really like not bothered by anything and he, I don't know, he's bizarre. But so... What I've noticed, if you take Saitama, which is the main character, yeah. out of the picture, yeah. it's a really bland and predictable shonen, which is for boys, it's yeah. like the, the genre, um, action anime, yeah. where the heroes talk constantly about what they're going to do. Oh, yeah. now I'm going to get the superpower of the beast out and I'm going to do this and this. And... And you go, oh, but then Saitama arrives and he makes everything better. Yeah. And everything it does is hilarious. Yeah. So without him, it's just kind of like just a predictable anime. Yeah. And but then he that's arrives. That's definitely by design, right? Like it's intentional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely yeah. by. Yeah, yeah. This, yeah, because at one point, um, he, uh, there's this guy that really likes him and he becomes his uh, disciple. The cyborg guy. Disciple. Yeah. yeah, and uh, and then <laughs> he starts talking about what happened to him and what, and it was just a long time. I was like, oh my god, is he ever gonna stop? And then Saitama 
Saitama's face comes out and he's just like, is he, is he, is he still talking? (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny because that's exactly how you feel. Yeah. And um, and the cyborg guy at one point starts tries to kill this guy, and it's all like, blah, 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 blah. and then Saitama just gives him a punch, <laughs> and it, the guy is defeated. Yeah, one punch man. One punch and man. That's pretty. Like it's really clever because yeah. you have ten minutes of absolute maybe uh, maybe it's ten minutes of kind of like oh okay, and then Saitama arrives and it just changes the episode. Yeah, and it becomes amazing. Yeah. But He's like there for like three minutes, gives a punch and it goes, oh, oh, just took that. Oh, it didn't take very long. And oh, it's, it's, it's good. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it, actually. I really enjoyed it. It was uh, funny and um, kind of made fun of probably of like animes like Dragon Ball, where you have like 10 minutes of like, you know, you know, when you yeah. have those moments. And it kind of makes fun of those kind of animes, and I, I I thought it was really really well done, and how you know all this everybody doesn't like Saitama, even though that he constantly saves the world. Yeah, and nobody but really he's cares. He's boring. He doesn't have like an exciting uh, gimmick. Yeah, or anything, so. yeah, yeah. He's bold. He's got like yeah. a yellow cape, and he's yeah. called Saitama. <laughs> And people want people want to see like all the people want to see the Dragon Ball Z fights with like the hero going at it yeah. and stuff like they yeah. don't want to see him just yeah. turn up and do one punch and defeat him. Yeah. Um. I, I yeah. love the way it just builds and builds and the enemies keep getting stronger, but every time he just is mm. just one punch. Yeah. 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 But the last enemy then is a little bit longer, but not that much. But it's it's good. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was funny. Uh, and uh, just, just, just a really interesting idea. And I, I'm glad that you told me to watch it because I would have never watched it. Because no, that's not my. That's really not the thing, stuff that I, anime I watch. So yeah, yeah that's why I kept telling you to watch it because I was like, you'll like it. Everyone should watch it. It's, it's not what you think, but yeah. Oh. Yeah. But apparently, the, yeah. the second no, season good. is is not good. So maybe still. Yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah, but no. A, a pity, good, but good, it's a perfect good. single season anime. Definitely. Yeah, I think yeah, it's good. Yeah, I I wouldn't watch another season of it. I think I'm in the the pattern of that kind of after a little bit gets a little bit, you know, yeah. could get a little bit boring. I think I think so. it I think it was intended to be one season, but then it was much more popular than successful than maybe they expected. Yeah. So as a result, it kind of had to become a bit of a franchise. Like there's a video game for it yeah. and stuff now, but ultimately, oh, is there? Yeah, and and it's weird. I, you don't play as Saitama in the video game because that just wouldn't be a fun video game. So you make your own. No. <laughs> and again, apparently, he Saitama just turns up occasionally in the game and defeats a really difficult boss with one punch <laughs> and then leaves. So yeah. But yeah, it's definitely a must watch. It's really, really good, different and funny. And yeah, and Noragami it is as well, I think. Yeah, I'd recommend people like watch it. Noragami. It's 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 yeah. it's interesting. It's cool. I like the ideas mm. of it and the style and design. But yeah, that's a different case where I feel like a longer run would have been better. The thing is, I'm not sure if, because I watched the second season a while ago. I'm not sure if that explains any more. I didn't really like it, so I've, I didn't pay much attention to it. But I'm know. not sure if that explains more. I might, I might actually give it a go. Yeah, maybe I'll let look you it know because, um, because I thought the first, I really liked the first season, and I didn't have the same questions that you have. So I thought 
I, I I don't know why I didn't like the second season. So I might I might just give it a, a watch it and then mm. let you know. Cool. Yeah, it's not on Netflix, Ooh. so I don't know how I'd. But I might try and look it up. Um, okay. Cool. All right, that's homework then done. Yeah. Yeah. Time and now we go for the top five. One. Oh, I wanted to do it together. Oh, it's sorry. You, you won't allow me. <laughs> no, it's fine. I lost a moment now. Five, four, three, two, one. Our top five. Right, so homework time is over. Yeah. Top five is here. We are going to yeah. talk about music in films. Yeah. Exciting. I will start with my number okay. five choice. So, yeah. uh, quick setup for what I'm about to talk about. 2007, filmmaker Paul Thomas Anderson makes There Will Be Blood, which is mm-hmm. not which is not my top number five place. But he hires uh, Johnny Greenwood, guitarist from the band Radiohead, to do the score. And Johnny Greenwood, instead of doing a traditional orchestral score, he uses an orchestra to create an unsettling tone piece that focuses more on atmosphere and droning and being unsettling than it does traditional melodies that you might get in a traditional orchestral Mm. film score. Mm. The film was really successful. People loved the soundtrack. So since then, in Hollywood, there have been many, many film scores that do that, that focus more on tone and and drones and stuff. Um, Mm. Johan Johansson, who sadly passed away recently, uh, produced some fantastic film scores in this style uh, for the director, Denny Villeneuve, along with a few other directors over the years. And uh, who else? I think Hilda Gunner's daughter is her name, the lady who did the Icelandic lady who did the soundtrack to Chernobyl and Joker. She also works in that, mm. that reign. So my my all my spots this week on my top five, each one is kind of honouring a different type of film music, if you see what I mean. So I really like this kind of film music and my favourite soundtrack that uses these unsettling kind of tones is Under the Skin. Have you heard of Under the Skin? No, not at all. Okay, Under the Skin is a Jonathan Glazer film. Uh, It came out in 2013? Yeah, 2013, Mm -hmm. 2014 film. It stars Scarlett Johansson, your friend and mine, Mm -hmm. as a... A sort of alien being. Uh, it's a real art film, so it doesn't really give you much context what's going on. But Scarlett Johansson is a sort of an alien who has, whose mission, it would appear, is to explore Earth and kind of find out about humans, right? Mm. So it was filmed in Glasgow, and it does this incredibly smart thing in the film of placing Scarlett Johansson, who we all recognise and who is an incredibly beautiful Hollywood actress, in big crowded places in Glasgow, like walking through a shopping centre and she's walking past WH Smith's and, um, you know, New Look and stuff, and all these ordinary Glaswegians walking by her. And it's an, it, it, she looks, because she looks so different to everyone, she does look like an alien. It's such a smart way of doing this mm. film. And the scenes of her driving this van around Glasgow, talking to genuine, obviously, like some of them are just genuine Glaswegians that they've just parked up next to and, and had a conversation with. And it's so strange. Mm. So it's this really weird, unsettling movie. Um, I love this film. It's it's a it's a five star mm. film for me. And the soundtrack is done by Micah Levy, uh, also known as Mike mm. Micah Chew, I think. 
who is an experimental pop artist. This was the first film score she'd ever done, and she completely mm. knocks it out of the park. It, it, you, you have all these very ordinary scenes of Scarlett Johansson in a van mm. in Glasgow, just having ordinary conversations with people. But there is this creeping sense of of horrific dread because the, the these awful strings and tones are just kind of coming mm. at you under the surface of the film and it, it it's brilliant and it does have melody to it but it also mm. is just an un, unsettling soundscape that really pushes the film further it's an amazing movie i mm. really really love it and the soundtrack is is key to it um she's only done mm. one soundtrack since under the skin she did the soundtrack for the film jackie uh about jackie kennedy mm. very different movie um, and I think that one was nominated for an Academy Award, so she's uh, getting critical recognition, certainly, and uh, I hope that she does more film soundtracks because her score for Under the Skin is excellent. Um, and, yeah, that's all I have to say on that. What do you think? Fantastico! I think it sounds great. <laughs> Good. <laughs> my number five. Yes. So, my number five. Um, my number five is... Uh, uh, film score uh, written entirely by the band called Air. Okay. Yeah. So, um, uh, interesting story that how I know about this film score. Um, Air released Moon Safari and I loved that album. Mm. And then a couple of years later, they released uh, this album, which is called The Virgin Suicides, which was the film score for the film The Virgin Suicides, um, completely written and produced by Air. Mm-hmm. So um, as a 14-year-old uh, person, uh, I bought this album without even thinking there was going to be a soundtrack. I don't know. And I listened to it and I was like, oh, well, this is... This is weird, but interesting. Uh, there was only one song that was um, with words, mm. which is the f- is the playground love, beautiful song, and then the rest was just like music, uh, music. And then I watched the film, The Virgin Suicides, and it just perfectly this sound this uh, film score perfectly was made for that film. Yeah, and kind of added. To the film, yeah, which was amazing. Uh, so, um, the Virgin Suicides it was the uh, di- uh, is the um, I can't say that word director debut of uh, Sofia Coppola, mm-hmm. and um, which is an amazing film. And but what also makes a film is the soundtrack, which is perfect. Um, it's um, uh, it just it just. It was the first time, I think, that I watched a film and appreciated the soundtrack. I think that's why I'm still in love with it. Yeah. I, because I listened to the soundtrack before actually watching the film, I already had an idea of how I was going to feel. Yeah. It's interesting uh, you discovered watched... the soundtrack like before you even knew the film was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And since then, uh, it's like 20 years ago, I'm like still in love and in awe of the soundtrack because I thought, oh, OK, I'll listen to it uh, again this week. And I was just like, yeah, it's perfect. It's beautiful. It's uh, and made me want to watch the film again. And um, it's um, it's kind of has uh, it's like air. It's got the same kind of feel, but it also it it makes the atmosphere. It creates a beautiful atmosphere with like uh, like electronic sounds, and it's just 
beautiful and I would recommend anybody to listen to a soundtrack and watch a film because I think it's just a beautiful beautiful soundtrack and um and I thought oh, I haven't watched the film for a while would I still enjoy it and I did because they are amazing <laughs> yeah that's fair I watched yeah. I, I rewatched Under the Skin to uh, make sure that I liked that soundtrack as mm. well. yeah, yeah. Hmm. cool good no I'm excited that's cool that's interesting I've never heard people talk about the soundtrack to that so that's interesting. yeah my number four then mm-hmm. uh, my number four is my uh honorary position for the the like the film soundtrack that's that's more a soundtrack a collection of licensed songs rather than a score if you see what I mean okay yeah. so my number four spot is the film from 2019 is that mm-hmm. correct? 2019. Yep, the 2019 coming of age comedy film Booksmart. Ah! Mm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Which okay. we watched together, right? Uh so yeah, I love this did. movie. I love I love Booksmart. I'm like you. I like a good coming of age um comedy. Not the package, but a good coming of age <laughs> comedy for sure. I like Shut up about the package. Um, <laughs> Uh, Booksmart is up there as one of my favourite coming-of-age movies. Um, we should definitely do mm. a top five coming-of-age films at some point, I think, because that'd be, that'd be Absolutely. Um, definitely. Yeah, I love Booksmart. <laughs> one of the things I love most about yeah. Booksmart is the soundtrack, because it's such a... Mm. It's done by Dan the Automator, who's uh, who used to be in Handsome Boy Modeling School years ago and has just been around for years and is a, is a, is a cool guy, good good musician. And it's all... A lot of it is is hip-hop, and it's really... It, it's this great kind of disparity between the films about these two uh, you know very caucasian middle class white girls from the suburbs of america mm. um but they kind of embody some of the like going out there doing it for yourself you know working it kind of mm. attitudes that that come through in hip hop so a lot of the scenes are soundtracked to uh, you know fantastic awesome hip hop songs you know you've got run the jewels are in there death grips are in mm. there there's just loads mm. of brilliant songs are in there and there's an official Booksmart playlist on Spotify, which is all the songs wow. that are in the movie, broken mm. up with little clips from Olivia Wilde, the director, and Danny Automator and other people involved in the music who were talking about like their choices for the different songs and why they did that. Mm. And it's this interesting thing of like the character played by uh, Beanie Feldstein, like her sort mm. of soundtrack is the hip hop stuff throughout. And then when there starts being scenes, mainly from the perspective of the other character played by Caitlin Dever. Uh, they start getting kind of softer, more atmospheric songs. So, like, there's a few Perfume Genius songs in there when she's in the pool. Mm. Uh, and then Alanis Morissette's on there because there's a bit where she sings Alanis Morissette karaoke. So it's got this really good okay. range of influences in there, range of music. It's all used perfectly. You know, every scene, the song that they put in it feels like it was made for that scene, even though obviously it it wasn't. Um, and, yeah, I, I think it's kind of not necessarily underrated, but I just think that, the soundtrack to Booksmart is so so good; it deserves uh, recognition. So I mm. wanted it's on my list because yeah. I love it. I love the movie and I love the music in it. What do you think about it? I I didn't pay much attention to the music, so I can't. I I didn't think about it as a mu. I don't know. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, because for me, I know maybe because it's a coming of age comedy. I just assumed they were putting music there as uh you know music that teenagers would listen to right. um now uh so uh so, yeah so i i don't know for some reason i didn't think about that much about the music 
Oh, which is interesting. Yeah. I think, so, uh... I think there's a bit early on where they play a song that I like already. Mm. And that made me, the first time I watched it, I remember being like, oh, I, I love this song. And then I was yeah. paying attention to the music throughout as a result and just was like, yeah, no, this this is the music in this movie is the best. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, do, okay, I do love that film though. Yeah, you should watch it again and listen out for the. Yeah, for the absolutely. I will. I want to because I think it's a great film, and also you know I never I didn't think about the the music that way, mm. and and I didn't realize that they they were using a music for the uh, to like the music for the two different characters. I had I hadn't picked up on that at all. It's definitely worth listening to that playlist on Spotify and having having listened to those little yeah. commentary snippets because they are they are really interesting actually. So I'd recommend everyone goes and does that. And uh, the, the link Nicer. for that will be in the show notes. So that's my number four. In the what, show notes. What's your number four? Uh, so my number four uh, is uh, what you said like before is like a collection of songs rather than a music score, uh, yeah. a soundtrack. But I think is amazing, and is um, from the film Guardians of the Galaxy Awesome Mix Volume One. Okay, interesting. I love that soundtrack. I uh, so it's uh, was created by is it com- it's not composed it's created really isn't it? Yeah, I guess uh, cu- curated uh, you'd say. Cured, curated by uh, Tyler Bates, who also did of the films I know, uh, Three Hundred, Grindhouse, um, Sucker Punch. <laughs> movie 43 which nobody liked um uh, no. yeah so kind of like quite a lot of films that are quite popular and i love the movie soundtrack uh just well, first of all it's because of the songs are amazing the songs choices are amazing mm. but also the fact that they are part of the film yeah and the fact that they, he listens to these songs. They're not just a movie soundtrack. These are the songs that he listens to. They are physical beings in the film. Do you know what they call Which that? makes it... Hmm? Do you know what that's called? No. Uh, diegetic music, I believe, is the term for when the music ah, is being okay. heard. So a fairly famous example is Mr. Uh, Blonde in Reservoir Dogs with uh, when he's playing yeah. uh, Stuck in the Middle of You. Yeah. You know, I knew that, but I completely <laughs> forgot because I... I actually did media in uni. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I didn't do media at uni. I just read Wikipedia a lot. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. And I, uh, after I watched the film, I just, just the, like the first scene when he's going in uh, this place uh, and he just puts his Walkman on and he listens to the song. Yeah. Is it hooked on a feeling? I think it is hooked on a feeling, and, that first scene. And I think. That just starts the film for me and just gives, it just puts me in the mood for mm. the film and I think is amazing. And uh, I, I have the soundtrack. I listen to it often. Um, it's just perfect, beautiful. Yeah. And I love it. It's just part, it also it's like, it's a character in the film. Without the sound, soundtrack, oh. I don't think Guardians of the Galaxy would be so good yeah the, the soundtrack is instrumental the to the success of that film for sure like it's yeah awesome yeah so guardian of the galaxy number four good songs good choices good character good everything. and how do you think the second awesome mix compares not as i i didn't think it was as good that second the second guardian's galaxy movie is good but it's not 
I don't. It doesn't reach the heights of the first one for me, and particularly the music choices. You know, it was it was good, but I think the first one is just perfect. Yeah, yeah, and it's perfect for the film. Yeah, I would and agree with that it. completely. A good solid choice. I like it. Okay, so my number three spot is my honorary place for the big classic orchestral scores and iconic themes. If you see what I mean. Um, and okay. it's it's a place. It's controversial, but this is a. I'm putting a franchise in my number three spot rather than one individual film. Yes. Uh, and the franchise is. James Bond, International Super Spy, License to Kill, 007. Yeah. Um, hmm. John John Barry wrote the iconic James Bond theme, or stole it from a musical. Uh, according to some people, it sounds it, yeah. But anyway, the James Bond theme tune is iconic. The scores to the James Bond movies are really good, and the reason I wanted to put it on as a franchise as a whole is because I think that the theme song that each Bond movie has has become. Uh, a truly mm. iconic part of cinema, and I love the James Bond themes, theme tunes, uh, and I wanted to talk about them. So here we go. They're great. They're awesome. Cool. My favourite is Live and Let Die. I really like the one Billie Eilish did. I hope I get to see the film someday mm. before I die. Maybe if I'm lucky. <laughs> um, Sorry. And 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 yeah, and Jack White and Alicia Keys' uh, "Quantum of Solace" theme tune is is probably my least favorite because it's just strange. But yeah, there, yeah, mm. James Bond. What what do you think, Alex? Uh, you know, you know, I'm not I'm not a great James <laughs> Bond fan. I know, but it's good music, good good scoring, yeah, good everything. Dun-a, yeah. Dun-a, yeah. Who? How could you yeah. resist that? Absolutely. Nobody can. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. We went to see we went to see Spectre together. Sam Smith did the theme yeah. song for that. Uh, it was the yeah. writings on the wall. Not the best Bond theme, but I, it grew on me. I quite like it. Chris Cornell, mm. R.I.P. Chris Cornell. His his uh, you know my name from Casino Royale is a wonderful song. Mm. Uh, Shirley yeah. Shirley Bassey obviously iconically did Goldfinger and Moonraker and Diamonds Are Forever. Did she do Moonraker? Yeah. 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 So yeah, no, I love I love the Bond movies a lot, and the music is a big part of that, and reminds me of my childhood. And and yeah, if you've never watched a Bond movie, then watch one. Start with yeah, um, from Russia with Love. If you, if you like classic cinema, start with From Russia with Love. If you like more modern stuff, go with Casino Royale. But either way, you'll have a, mm. you'll have a great time. Yeah. Uh, and if you like cheesy nonsense rubbish, watch Moonraker. Yeah. After your choice now, I'm rethinking my life. Why? <laughs> what do you mean? Because when you texted me the other day, I didn't really understand what you meant. And I'm like, oh, that's what you meant. <laughs> that makes things different. But never mind. I'll stick to my five and then maybe one day I'll talk about other things. Right. Okay. What did you think I meant? <laughs> I've no idea. Oh, okay. Sometimes I don't know what you, I, sometimes, sometimes I don't know what you're talking about. So I just go with the flow. All right. That's nice to know. Thanks. Right, what's your I, I trust you I trust you enough to go with the flow, no? You know, it's been it's been a, a good uh seven year it, seven seven years? Seven year, seven year relation Yeah. Yeah, seven year relationship like that. So I just go with you and just you know, usually it's good times. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes it's bad times. <laughs> okay. What's your number three choice? Yeah. 
My number three choice. Uh, I um, I love uh, the all the soundtracks that this director chooses. Is all the songs, so it's not. Um, it's mainly a collection of songs, but I feel like this director uh, chooses the best songs for the best moment to create an atmosphere which is amazing. And without those songs, the scene that he creates wouldn't be the same. Okay. So what's and your favourite sh- Quentin Tarantino soundtrack? Oh, no. That's, this is not Quentin. No, really? Wes Anderson? This is... Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Second try. Uh, so I... T- so I had to choose uh, my favorite Wes Anderson uh, soundtrack and it didn't take me very long because <laughs> my favorite is from the film The Darjeeling Limited. Ah, okay. Uh, yeah. So although I love all of the soundtracks and it was between the Royal Tenenbaums and the Darjeeling Limited, I was like, I've already spoken about the Royal Tenenbaums and I love and I own the physical copy of the Darjeeling Limited soundtrack. Cool. What's on that soundtrack? It starts with Where Do You Go To My Lovely when they're in Paris. Mm. Uh, and then it's got a lot of uh, kinks. It's got a lot of Indian music mm. uh, composed by Satya. Oh, okay. Just a moment. Satya Jit Ray. Uh, it's got one of my favorite kink songs, which is This Time Tomorrow. This Time Tomorrow, where will we go? But yeah, uh, I love that song. But I think I think the soundtrack is amazing. I think it's perfect. I love the fact that there's a lot of Indian music. I just love how he chooses his music. Yeah. And he he doesn't necessarily go for uh, a pop. So he didn't go, um, for example, for... Um, I don't know. I'm not a massive Rolling Stone fan. Rolling Stones fan. The Rolling Stones fan. Mm. I don't know. But I before watching the film, I've never heard Play With Fire. Right. So I, I feel like he's got such a knowledge of music that he manages to choose even things that are a little bit obscure from uh, things that maybe people don't know. Yeah. And I think that the choices that he made of like Indian music is just so perfect yeah i don't know i just thought i just thought he he's amazing and he's he's just really good with his soundtracks and i think this one is one of them Mm. and it's beautiful and i love the film of course and i love the soundtrack and but yeah he is great Wes Anderson is is brilliant at choosing the songs and he clearly has a big love for that sort of british invasion 60s rock stuff like the kinks and rolling stones they pop up especially the kinks they pop up in a few of his films i think yeah yeah good choice cool Oh, thank you, G. What's your number two? My number two is my uh, place in my list for the musical film. Oh, see, I wish you this. You should have told me you were doing this because, Why? because. Oh goodness! Oh, I hope it's not going to be what I think. But never mind. I I didn't think about <laughs> dividing it into categories. That would have been easier. Yeah, I mean, it just, I didn't intentionally do it. It just sort of naturally happened and seemed like the easiest way to, to go with it for me. But it's all right for, it doesn't, it's all fine. Everything's fine. Yeah, but yeah. your list seems much cooler and inclusive. I disagree. Mine is I, not very I inclusive. I disagree. Your list, your list <laughs> is personal to you and is lovely and wonderful. So. Okay. So yeah, musicals are a, a great part of cinema and, you know, lots of, Great film soundtracks have come from musicals. So my number two pick is 1974's... Is it 1974, Alex? No, 1973. So my number two pick is 1973's The Wicker Man. 
Nice. Starring. I don't. So, go on. Is The Wicker Man a musical? Yes. My contention is fully that The Wicker Man is a musical. Uh, stars Edward Woodward <laughs> and Christopher Lee. Okay. My favourite thing about Edward Woodward is this joke. Uh, Alex, why does hmm. Edward Woodward have four Ds in his name? Oh. Oh, this is probably really stupid. <laughs> it is. Because it... Oh, I don't know. Tell because me. if he didn't have four Ds in his name, his name would be Ewa Wuwa. Um, okay. R.I.P. Edward Woodward, you're a brilliant actor, um, yeah. especially in The Wicker Man, which is one of the all-time great performances, alongside Christopher Lee as Lord Summerisle, also giving an amazing performance. Britt Eklund as the uh, landlord's daughter is fantastic. And yeah, it's a horror film. It's a folk horror film. It's one of my favourite horror films. It's one of my favourite films. It's about a police officer who goes to an island off the Scottish coast to look for a missing girl and discovers that things are not quite right in this sort of pagan society and uh, it, it, it devolves into some quite unpleasantness. But it is a musical because repeatedly throughout the film, characters break out into song and dance and it's not just on the soundtrack, they are singing within the film. So to my mind, it's a musical. It's got some really, really good musical numbers and I often listen to the soundtrack, uh, which is by Paul Giovanni. Um, and yeah, it's kind of it. I think that's what works about the film in a way is that it's so odd and unsettling and strange. And there mm. are these scenes where suddenly all the characters will just start singing a folk song, uh, in in the middle of uh, the pub or uh, in the middle of the street, or you see these children uh, going around a maypole and singing this song and things like this. And and yeah, I love the music for this movie. I think it is a musical. I mean, I'm being a bit silly, but I do think it's. A musical in a way um and i love it have yeah. you seen the wicker man alex no i've never watched the wicker man because it's a horror and you know you know you know i don't watch horrors that's fair enough it's a but it's a pretty it's a pretty uh, i don't know it's scary in ways but it's not a violent film um okay really. it's a it's a great film it's brilliant you should watch it so yeah the wicker man yeah the wicker man i love that film so so much and part, a lot of that is the music so that's my number two pick what's your number two pick my number two pick is uh, I'm back to film scores and is a film score from uh, one of my favorite genres of film, which is animation, anime, Lovely. and is the film score uh, composed by uh, Joe Isahishi for the film Princess Mononoke. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. Yes, I knew I wanted to put a Ghibli film in because I think Joy Sahishi is um, an incredible composer. Mm. Uh, he, like, I've, you know, he managed, he manages to create moods that he, he knows when to make you cry. He knows when to make you upset. He knows when to uh, make you angry, scared. I don't know. He's amazing. I think he's a genius. Um, and I chose Princess Mononoke because I think that is definitely, for me, in my opinion, the best soundtrack. Um, I could listen to it without watching the film and just, he just created 65 minutes of pure beauty. And um, two of the songs were actually written by Miyazaki, wow. which is interesting. Yeah, so Miyazaki is a pretty all-rounded, incredible human being. He is. But I, I just, I just... I just think he's amazing and I think 
he 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 made he need he composed nearly all of uh, um, Miyazaki's um, productions. Mm. So he's you know if you if you're gonna if you watch a Ghibli film, you probably are listening to uh, Hi, uh, Joe Hisaishi yeah. uh, song, and I think is is amazing. And um, I spoke about him a couple uh, a few episodes ago when I was talking about uh, Kikujiro uh, uh, and the the soundtrack mm. Summer. And I just I just really like Joey Saishi and I and and he's actually another person that I, I have physical copies of his work because I think he's so good. It's interesting. Yeah. I think they probably because they blend so well with the visuals, mm. his soundtracks that I wouldn't have thought to put one on my list. But you're right that the Ghibli movies and Miyazaki's movies do have amazing scores uh, yeah. that are worth worth highlighting. Um that's yeah. interesting. I like. I think it's a bit like Booksmart for me. I would not have picked out the music in Mononoke mm. as being um, really, really mm. notable because because it, it all just goes together so well. Mm. Um, but now because I, I'm obsessed with Ghibli, yeah. I own the soundtracks. Well, now <laughs> I want to listen just, to that soundtrack for sure because I've I've never. Oh, definitely listen to the Mononoke because it's just and if you if you know the film well, then you you can you can remember the scenes mm. as well, mm. and you think ah. That's also part of the film. How amazing this! And I and what I love about his soundtracks is that they're just part, integral part of the film. Mm. A bit like one of the characters of the film. That well, no, maybe not the characters, but the scenery of the film. Yeah. Totally part of the scenery of the film. That if somebody else would have made the score, I don't, I don't think it would have been yeah the same. Yeah, so it's it's like mm. holding the film up and improving it, but in a way that yeah. isn't flashy or taking focus away from the film, which is a really difficult thing yes. to do. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, nice, good. So number two, yeah. Princess Mononoke. Yeah. Or Mononoke Hime. Mononoke Hime. Uh, <laughs> good, okay, cool. So, my mm. number one pick. Yeah. My number one pick is a film, it, this, like, this, this spot is reserved for my favourite film composer. And I've okay. picked one specific film of his, but I just love all of his scores. I think he is a living genius legend. This is a man who writes his films, directs them, often produces them, and in the vast majority of cases has also composed the score for them. He is one of the he is the possibly the greatest living filmmaker, criminally underappreciated by society due to his chosen genre of horror. Uh the man is John Carpenter. And the film is Halloween. Oh, okay. Oh, what? He does everything. He does it. Even the music. Yeah, he does the music. He, wow. He, in fact, in recent years, he's released two albums called Lost Themes and Lost Themes Part 2, which are just okay. music, like not for films in particular. He's released a an album called Anthology, where he's re-recorded a bunch of the themes for his different movies, which is an amazing album. Like, amazing. Mm. Um, Like, his theme for... Halloween is is wonderful. His theme for the fog is fantastic. Uh, uh, in the Mouth of Madness, Prince of Dark, like the guy has just done all these brilliant. He works in synths. I love a good synth score. I really, really like a good mm. synth score to a film, especially like an eighties synth score. Ah, oh, it's the sweet spot. It's so so good. And John, nobody nobody does it as well as John Carpenter. And wow. um, yeah, I had to pick. I had to pick Halloween. I, I part of me wanted to pick the fog because I re- I've watched that recently. I've spoken about that on the Culture Bucket podcast before. Mm. Why did I just say it like that? Yeah, I've spoken about the fog before. 
and I, I really mm. love that the, the the theme to the fog is wonderful. But no, like for a long, long time, Halloween has been one of my favorite films, and that score is iconic to me, and I absolutely adore it. Um, it creates such a great unsettling atmosphere in the film, and yeah, it's just mm. iconic. It's wonderful. I love it. I love John Carpenter. I love his films. It it frustrates me that he, you know, he'll never be an Oscar winner. He'll never get that kind of recognition. But he is an like an amazing talent and uh, deserves to be uh, noted as such. It's bizarre that I always assumed that he was a fictional character, John Carpenter. <laughs> is that, is... <laughs> that is, is bizarre. That... You're right. Is that? Is there is there a fictional car- character called John Carpenter? Uh, John Carter. Or maybe. But that's uh, when you said it. I was like, "That's not a real guy." Who are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> See, that's how underappreciated he is. You didn't even know he was real. I know. That's crazy, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but we're talking right. Halloween, The Fog, yeah. Prince of Darkness, yeah. In the Mouth of Madness, Big Trouble in Little China, They Live, The Thing. I mean. Yeah. I can't think of another director with such a strong body of work. The problem is I've n- haven't seen any of his movies. Oh, they're, they're any? All they're all well, they're not all good, uh, but by and large, particularly up to a certain point in time, mid nineties, uh, they are phenomenal. So many five star mm. films from that man. Yeah, I should. I should. I just. I just need to. I just need to spend. I don't know. A day, an afternoon, oh, and a week John watching those things. What a wonderful thing that would be! Ah, uh, but I probably won't sleep for a cup a couple of years. No, it's like he. Not all of his films are horror films, and not all of his horror films are terrifying. Like the thing, maybe don't watch the thing straight away. Maybe don't watch Halloween immediately. Although a lot of people think Halloween yeah. isn't scary now, but I, I don't know. I think it is. But like Big Trouble in Little China yeah. is like an action comedy starring Kurt Russell. Like you, you would okay. love that film. That film is awesome. Um, okay. Escape from New York is an action movie that I've actually never seen, shamefully. But that's another one of his that's not a horror film that um, is worth watching. Yeah. And The Fog is a horror film, but it's it's not scary. It's just fun. Um, okay. So, yeah. In the Mouth of Madness is scary mm. but brilliant. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. There we go. That's my number one pick. John Carpenter, Halloween, but really all of his stuff. And if you haven't done so, listen to his albums, in particular his anthology album that is a collection of, of mm. his film themes because they are great. So, yeah. Cool. What's your number one pick, Alex? My number one pick. Uh, so my number one pick, uh, I still haven't talked about him in my in my thing, in my films or anything, and I love him. And I think he, this director, chooses the best songs for his films. You actually said his yeah, name I before. Did. And uh, the director is Quentin Tarantino. And I love his music. I love how he he makes his movie score. Well, it's not movie scores. It's like collections of songs for his films. Yeah. And I, this was the first soundtrack that came that I put down because I love it and is the soundtrack for the film Jackie Brown oh wow an interesting pick yes yes so Jackie Brown is my favorite soundtrack of all times I love it um 
like I watched Jackie Brown maybe a couple of weeks ago and I knew all the songs and I sing sing them while while <laughs> while I watch the film I annoy people uh yeah and I love it because he he the songs he chooses are so great and it's like a, a homage to kind of black exploitation films mm. and um he chooses some incredible songs like uh from Bobby Womack across 110th street uh and uh Randy Crawford's Street Life which is like one of my favorite songs of all time mm. um i don't know i just he just chose the perfect songs for that film and i think the like well well, we have been saying that for the past mm. five uh, choices. <laughs> the, the, this soundtrack makes film. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it also works by itself without the film because it's an incredible soundtrack with incredible choices. And then with the film, it works even better. And I think it elevates the film to a, a different level of greatness. Um, and uh, like I remember people criticizing. Uh, Quentin Tarantino for like choosing songs that have already been chosen in other films and but I think that's what makes his films great. I think his choices of songs in films are perfect and I don't know why people would criticize that. You know, if uh, trying to find the perfect song for a perfect scene is not an easy thing. Yeah. You know, I just and and I I hate when people meet, like kind of like put that oh, you know, those songs have already been done. Mm. He's just recycling. But no, no, because he's 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 basing it alongside visuals and making it all work together and creating something new. So. It, exactly, and I think how he does it is amazing. And in every film, in every film, but how he does it in um, Jackie Brown is amazing, and I love that film. It's beautiful. I love the film. I love the soundtrack. I love the everybody in that film. It's beautiful. Really great film. And that's why my number one is Jackie Brown. Good. I like it. It's a good choice. Yeah. I wouldn't have expected that Quentin Tarantino film to be your pick, so I like it. It's interesting. So, yeah. recap. My top five was... Yeah. Number five, Under the Skin by Michael Levy. Number four, Book Smart, uh, created by Danny Automator. Number three, The James Bond Franchise. Number two, The Wicker Man by Paul Giovanni. And number one, Halloween by John Carpenter. Fantastic. Great choices. My number five, The Virgin Suicides uh, by Air, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, James Gunn and curated by Tyler Bates, uh, The Darjeeling Limited, I guess curated by Wes Anderson. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, Princess Mononoke, created by Joe Isaishi, and um, Jackie Brown, I guess curated by Quentin Tarantino. Yes, please. Yeah. Yes, please. Okay, so my honourable mentions this week. It's a long list. I won't go into it too much, but uh, The Guest, which is okay. a stars Dan Stevens. It's a John Carpenter homage, and the soundtrack is an homage to John Carpenter's soundtracks, so I love it. The Social Network, mm -hmm. the David Fincher okay. movie. The soundtrack was famously done by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails. And he's done a bunch of soundtrack work, which is which is awesome. Um, but his, uh, I think he won an Oscar for The Social Network, and it is a fantastic score for a movie that's mm. not one I go back to often. Midsummer, which we've talked about enough on this podcast, but I love the soundtrack to Midsummer. 
Blade Runner by Vangelis. Uh, Blade Runner 2049 mm. also has a wonderful soundtrack. The Joker movie has a fantastic score. There Will Be Blood, which I spoke about earlier. Pirates of the Caribbean. Those films have a surprisingly brilliant soundtrack, especially the, the theme. I, I, I didn't get past the 20 minutes after the, the in the first one, so I have no idea. Enough. Hans Zimmer. There is the first, the first <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean is a good film. A Tenet, which I watched recently, had an awesome soundtrack, um, but it's a bit too recent for me to really make a judgment on, but I, I remember really liking it. Hmm. Grand Budapest Hotel um, is probably my Ooh. Wes Anderson pick. Suspiria, both yeah. the original by Goblin and the remake by Tom York, are fantastic soundtracks. Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me has a great soundtrack, as does Blue Velvet, as does Eraserhead, hmm. David Lynch and uh, Angelo Badlamenti are involved in those. some of those. Uh, Jurassic Park and Jaws by John Williams are fantastic. Sicario, yeah. a Denny Villeneuve movie. Um, Johan Johansson did a very awesome um, brooding score for that. Annihilation, mm-hmm. Drive, uh, and finally The Good, The Bad and The Ugly by the great Ennio Morricone. They are all my yes. honourable mentions. Yes. How about you? Uh, I'm going to hop on Ennio Morricone Anything that Ennio Morricone has done, any score is amazing. He was a genius, a bit like Joyce Aishi. In fact, I was like, oh. Um, so anything, he was amazing. Sergio Leone's films are amazing. And Ennio Morricone did all his soundtracks and he was beautiful. Um, so Your Name, uh, oh, a Japanese yeah. film that I mentioned Radwimps. in my favorite bands, Radwimps. Uh, Moana, incredible uh, soundtrack. Uh, I'm going to go for cartoons now. So I'm going to do Moana, amazing. Uh, The Lion King, beautiful soundtrack. Mm. Amazing. Uh, And then uh, Mary Poppins, the first one. (laughs) You know, better than that. How can you you go better than that? Yeah, yeah. And then Blues Brothers. Yep. Come on. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. Um, Romeo plus Juliet with Claire Danes Uh, and Leonardo DiCaprio has got an amazing soundtrack. Baz Luhrmann knows how to do music. Uh, Oh, and of course, Moulin Rouge. Mm. Ooh, la la. (laughs) Beautiful. Uh, That's why I love movie soundtracks because they're just, they're just, when you, when they hit the spot, they hit the spot. (laughs) That's terrible, isn't it? Uh, Train Spotting amazing uh soundtrack oh brother where art thou uh my favorite coen brothers soundtrack beautiful mm. i said soundtrack so many times mm. uh bohemian rhapsody <laughs> i had to put Fair it enough. in because i love queen <laughs> sorry uh dangerous minds uh a film with uh, michelle pfeiffer and uh that teaches in a school uh in a bad area yeah. let's say um famous song by Coolio. Uh let's do the post of life in the Gangster Paradise. Yep. Uh and then Sister Act. How can you how can you not love the soundtrack? Sister Act. Uh and uh all the Ghibli, Ghibli movies and that's it. Really. Nice. Okay, cool. Good. So we come now to yeah. homework assignments. <laughs> yeah. So I would like you to watch uh, the film because I think we have to watch the film and maybe listen to the soundtrack as well if we can but definitely you have to watch of the course. film and experience the music yeah. as intended absolutely would you want to watch the film first no would you want to listen to the soundtrack first and then watch the no. film Oh, my preference okay. would be to watch the film and then listen to the soundtrack 
Bye. Well, you can do it however you however you want, Alex. <laughs> um, Bye. Okay. Under under yeah. the skin. Is it scary? Um, it's unsettling. Oh, George. You can do it, Alex. I can't. It's do a good it. film. You'll like it. Under the no, skin. I, I, I won't. You will. But I'll try. Fine. Thank you. Um. <laughs> Uh, okay, so I think the only one that you haven't watched is The Virgin Suicides yeah. um, and uh, the soundtrack made by Air. Okay, awesome. I look for, I've, you know, yeah, I've never seen it, so I look forward to watching it and checking out the soundtrack. Yes. Awesome. Thank you. Cool. Well, and uh, if it's this is scary, I'm not going to be okay. happy. It's, it's unsettling. Well, unsettling is sometimes worse than scary. Well, it's a sci-fi film. Okay, It's fine. a great movie. More, it will convince you even more so that Scarlett Johansson is a great actress. Okay. Um, fine. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's a really, I really would like to know what you think of it, genuinely. It's a really interesting film. Um, it's got okay. some, you know, strange, freaky imagery in it at times, but it's, mm. it's a valuable movie. Okay. I'll have a go. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Okay. It's been... Uh, Thank you. A rambunctious recording. There's yeah. been a handful of technical issues, but I'm sure Alex's incredible editing skills will um, mean that you haven't noticed any of that. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll keep this in case I can't yes. delete this. <laughs> um, please do follow us on social media. Join us in all the places we are um, in. We're on Instagram, Twitter a little bit, but we seem to get we seem to get the most uptake on Instagram, so do follow us on there. Um, check us out on Letterboxd for our film lists. Uh, we've got a. I'm gonna. We, there's a Spotify playlist you can follow as well for our for our um, song choices and all of that stuff. And there's a discussion group on Facebook which we would love you to get involved in as well. And you can always email yes, us as well. Please. All the links for that are in the show notes, along with links to all the things we've talked about today in Culture Catch Up. Come back next week when we're going to be talking about actors. Yes, yes, we're going to do our first ever two-part episode because we don't feel entirely comfortable splitting actors by gender because I don't think that's a necessary thing anymore. No. So instead of doing top five actors and top five actresses, we're just doing top ten actors and it's, you know, gender is... It's a weird one because <laughs> everyone, you know, the Academy Awards still splits actors by male and female. Hmm. Yeah. But now there are, you know, we I don't want to feel like we're kind of uh, by definition, not allowing non-binary actors to be in our list or be in discussion and that kind of thing, and it's just the, the yeah. So top ten seems like it makes the most sense. Yeah, and I think it's good. Yeah, top ten is fine. Yeah. You know, we don't have to just choose five. Five. Yeah, just top trying to be as inclusive as inclusive as possible, and just uh, let's yeah. all get on with each other and have a lovely time. So we'll see you then for next. Definitely. Uh, when we do our yeah top ten actors part one, join us next week. It'll be a blast. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Love you. Bye. 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 Bye.